welcome to the show called Let's Talk Homeschool. I'm Davis, and I'm with my lovely wife, Rachel, and we are your hosts. We're back, and we're so looking forward to spending this time with you today. Welcome to episode number three. Today's show is titled, Me, Homeschool, Part Two. So, this is the continuation of the true story of how we got started into this crazy thing called home education. It wasn't on our, our radar, but you heard the first half in the previous episode. Are you ready to hear the rest of the story? In today's episode, like anything, we are laser-focused on homeschooling. Specifically, we want to affirm, encourage, challenge, and inspire you in this adventure of a lifetime and celebrate the milestones even the beginning of this journey. We want to be the mentors you didn't know you needed, but you need as you continue down this path. But right now, we want to get back to the rest of the story. We left you hanging last time. We got to the first day of school, and I was thrilled and so excited, even though the teacher that our oldest son had been assigned to didn't seem to be the woman that we had prayed for. We sent him anyway and celebrated the first day of school, but at the end of the first day of school, despite a tag pinned to him that said bus 809, the teacher whom he had been assigned to, who did not seem to be the person that we had prayed for, failed to get him on a bus. And so if you'll remember, I called Davis. Davis left work. You went and you found Charles sitting in the lobby and... You came home with him. That's right. So I picked him up. We came home and we're scratching our head. But you know what? We believe in second chances. Sure. We're a family of grace. So let's go to day two. It's just the first day. So day two, same story. I get the neighbor boy, have Charles. We get him in the car, got their backpacks and lunchboxes. I drive him to school. We keep bus 809 on his shirt today, even though most of the students had taken theirs off. I walk them in at the school, drop them off, say a few words to the teacher to say, you know, he's going to keep the postcard saying bus 809 today just to make sure we get today right. She gives me the smile, thumbs up, saying, no worries. Everything will be, you know, working out fine today. So I leave feeling reassured. Go to work. You go through your day. Afternoon, uh, you know, our daughter's napping. The neighbor mom goes down. You go to the mailbox to watch them come up the road. And once again, you see the neighbor mom, her son, the dog. Was Charles showing up this time? No, Charles wasn't there day He's two. He's not showing up again. <laughs> no, I mean, it just, it, it, it seems like, yeah, it, it seems ridiculous to recount the story. I didn't even wait to talk to her the second day. I I pretty much knew once I did not see him come over the ridge of the hill that he wasn't there again. And I was stunned, but I didn't feel like I needed to confirm with her. And I ran inside the house, and I still didn't have the phone number of the school by the phone, and I just called you immediately and we were both just like, you have got to be kidding me. But, exactly. I, but I assumed that what had happened on day one happened again. And I again assumed that Charles, even though he had not taken the tag off the first day, and I was happy that he had not done that. I mean, I was, I was proud of him for leaving it on. 
I was assuming on day two, he he surely took it off this day just from peer pressure, right? Because he was the only the only kid who had it on on day two. Because if I remember correctly, when you dropped the boys off on the second day, she said, "Oh, Mr. Carmen, right? You don't need to. We we can take that off." And you were like, "No, apparently we can't." No, I was pretty insistent. Let's go ahead and keep it on just to be safe. Just to be safe. And so I'm thinking, well, surely. Today he did take it off, and I was even I was even being more gracious than the day before, thinking, you know, I really can't blame him. You wouldn't want to be the only kid, right? Um, so anyway, I called you, and you called the school. Well, right, and like you said, we're, we're both thinking, good grief, can they not get yeah. him on the bus? What, what all the other kids are getting on the bus? Yeah. So I call, expecting the same kind of response. Sure. Oh, he's the boy walking the halls or something, and they say, well. He, he's not in the lobby. We don't know where he is. Don't know where he yeah. is. Yeah. I, I remember having a little bit of a panic, trying not sure. to get, get out of sorts here. So I'm driving a little faster to the school this time to find out what in the world is going on. Yeah. So when I get there, uh, he actually is in the school. Okay. Find out that they had put him on the wrong bus. Yeah. So now our son is visibly shaken. Sure. That little yellow school bus is a scary thing. Yeah. And quite frankly, it's a scary thing for me because I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? Yeah. So, you know, in I hope typical parent fashion, I'm there to protect my son. Sure. So I have a quick meeting with the uh, principal saying, we've got to have a meeting. Yeah. And... Saying, you know, look, we've had two really bad days. Of course, you and I are already reminding ourselves this is not the person we've been praying for, right. and clearly not. Yeah. So we're ready to you know be bold and and move and get some action and change. Yeah. And so in this meeting that I had with the principal, I said, you know, we we didn't feel good about the teacher at the beginning. Right. I'm not trying to throw her completely under the bus. Right. But. We, we just get, we need a new teacher. So let's just change that, call it a day, and, and Well, but on. just to be clear, in, you were asking who was responsible for getting him on the bus because right. he still had his tag on, and he confirmed that right. it was the classroom teacher's right. responsibility to get those students on the right bus. And so it was just one more sign that we right. were just like, are you kidding me? Yeah, so in this meeting, you know, the principal replies, you know, pretty quickly. So, well, you know, I'd, I'd rather not do that. Well, the hair's, you know, going up on the back of my neck. And I'm thinking, well, I'm, let me rephrase this. I'm not asking. I'm demanding. Right. I want a teacher change. And he says, well, no, I can't do that. Well, who can? And he says, well, I'm, I'm responsible for the teacher-student assignments, but I, I, I don't want to do that. I said, well, let me tell you, I'm the parent of this child. Right. I want a teacher change. And he refused, Mm -hmm. to which I said, well, who is your boss? Right. And so I left that meeting with at least the name of his boss. I go home, and I start making phone calls. Yeah. I talk to his boss. I talk to that person's boss. And I don't know how many levels I went up, but every time they sort of passed the buck and, and Andor said, the principal is ultimately responsible for two student teacher assignments. And I remember I got one phone call away from the superintendent of the entire Charlotte Mecklenburg School District, mm-hmm. who was in his first year <laughs> and 
And I remember just uh, thinking, oh, great. I got three kids. This is my oldest. If I make this phone call, you know, are we going to be known as the family that calls the superintendent when they don't get their way? And yet this was obviously a pretty serious issue. And so I didn't make that final phone call. But I remember just having this maddening feeling that I had no say Mm -hmm. in my kids' education after all this, you know, pep rally talk about how much we were going to be involved and how much say we had and how much this was a collaboration. And it was was all bunk and nonsense in my mind right now because they couldn't get them on the right bus and they weren't even interested in having a conversation about changing the teachers just two days into this school. This is not going to affect anything. So it, it, it was so frustrating. It was frustrating, and it was it was terrifying, too. I, I, I remember thinking then, and certainly now, thinking back, how God protected Charles that day. Mm-hmm. Because I really do believe, as rash as he was as a child... There had to have been a band of angels sitting in his lap to keep him on that bus because it would have been so like him to think, I've got to get off somewhere. I mean, can you imagine the terror? First of all, his friend was not on the bus, but his teacher put him on this bus. So he's, he's thinking, surely I can trust my teacher to put me on the bus, right? But then he gets on there only to discover that his next-door neighbor's not on there. And he I can only imagine he had to have been thinking, I've got to get off somewhere. Maybe I get off here. Maybe I get off here. And I just remember being so grateful that we were not on the evening news begging for someone to return our son, which could have very easily been this story. But by God's grace and mercy... He actually rode the bus all the way back. And I don't know how long we've never even, I've never even thought Mm -hmm. about how long that ride must have been. Had to have been an hour. And he was on the bus and he came back. And yeah, I mean, I just remember thinking, y'all said this was our school. Y'all said you wanted to do this together and that you, we were going to work together for what was best for our son. I was not feeling like we were working together at all. No, not at all. And this is where it all crashed and burned as though there had not been enough signs along the way. Charles was now terrified of the bus and begged us not to have to ride it. Right. So this is when my beautiful schedule of having Anderson and Ann taking a nap when I met Charles down at the drive end of the driveway to talk about how his day had been. This is when I became a mom who had to have her two kids nap in the car and sit in the pickup line at school, which meant they took a power nap of maybe 15 or 20 minutes and everything started falling apart. They ended up being crankier in the afternoon. I'm cranky because it's not going the way. Yeah, I mean, it was just, it was awful, Davis. I mean, you took him, but he wasn't riding the bus, and then it was awful. Yeah, so we're we're limping along in this Uh new bad schedule. But are we considering homeschooling? We hadn't even... Thought about no. it separately, privately, together, or anything. No. Mm-mm. So we we limp along, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, coming up to day thirteen, which was going to be a Friday, because you know they start in the middle of the week for some I don't reason. Sometimes. That, yeah. So you know, on about day ten or eleven, 
uh, we're noticing something. Mm-hmm. Actually, we're noticing the absence of something. <laughs> and yeah. that is uh, the neighbor boy who had a different te- kindergarten teacher, like most students, was bringing something home every night yeah. you know, to pin on the refrigerator or the wall or to put in a folder yeah. or a scrapbook. And and Charles is not bringing anything nothing. home. I mean, not just fewer items. He was bringing nothing, nothing home. Yeah, it's true. And so now we're scratching our head again going... Is, are they doing any school at all? I know, but it was worse than that. So he wasn't just not bringing any evidence of any activity. He was dying. Oh, yeah. I mean, this vivacious, curious, lively, energetic child who was talking from the moment his eyes opened till the moment they closed, who was going a million miles an hour all constantly wanted to know and understand and learn about everything was dying. I mean, he wasn't curious. He didn't, there was no conversation to be, how was your day? Fine. What did you do? Nothing. I mean, he was just, it was like he was dying a slow, tortured death. It was. And so uh, I decided to arrange Taking a day off school, yeah. I arranged it with the principal and the teacher. Hey, can I come and just sit in the class and observe yeah. and help and do whatever? And they allowed that. Mm-hmm. And so on uh, the 13th day of his school, uh, I, which was a Friday, I show up and I just observe. Mm-hmm. I, you know, listen to the lessons. I go out to recess with them and uh, have lunch. I actually got to read this story that in the book they were reading after lunch. And I remember as we're getting in, you know, into the early afternoon, as I'm trying to decide what am I doing and mm-hmm. what's our game plan, right? that I'm just watching everything going on, the entire package, and I'm realizing, okay, so nothing horrible is happening. Yeah. But nothing good is happening. And, mm-hmm. and like you said, what we were observing at home, I saw in this schoolroom that my son was going to die a slow, cruel, horrible death yeah. of boredom, mm-hmm. of mediocrity, mm-hmm. of nothingness and yeah. lack of purpose. And so I talked to the principal as I leave with my son and say, said, we won't be back on Monday. And he said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know, but we won't be back. Yeah. And we didn't. We didn't have a clue what to do. But we, yeah. we were working on a plan. And so what were you doing in the background that day while I'm at school with Charles? <laughs> okay, so I was like halfway panicked because I was pretty sure that we weren't going to keep doing this. I mean, of all the things that you could criticize Davis and Rachel of being passive is pretty much not going to ever make that list. We're pretty active. We're... We're doers. We're decisive. We're at, we we want to be involved. We want to be engaged. And so I was pretty confident that you were going to bring him home. And even though you didn't say that, it's fun, it's kind of funny because we didn't have that conversation. But I was pretty sure you were going to bring him home. And so I spent the morning while you're at recess and lunch and reading doing story time. I spent the morning. Uh, researching and calling every private school in town 
and making appointments in the afternoon for Charles to be interviewed um, to see where we could put him. I was ready to get a second mortgage on the house. I was ready to do whatever it took to put him somewhere. That was still my objective. Um, Still not thinking homeschool. And as I remember it, you came home. I basically met you at the door with a list of stops. I had it all planned out. We were going to go to this private school and this private school and this private school and this private school. And I don't know, I don't know how it's changed since then because this was our only experience with it. But at that point, you had to be tested to get into kindergarten. I don't know if you remember that. Poor Charles was tested, I don't know, five, six, seven times that day. Um, and this is, I mean, this is another thing that's just remarkable. I think we went to somewhere between five and seven places that day investigating and really I wasn't investigating I just wanted to put him somewhere I wasn't even picky I you know my prayer for whoever his teacher was was not on my list of considerations I just wanted to know do you have a place for him and this is it's it's amazing there was not a place well we're two weeks into the school year so in some ways it's not a surprise because a lot of the wait lists probably got full before the first day of school, but now right. two weeks into school, they're all jam packed. Yeah, what's going on? Yeah, so he was on a wait no, list no, in no seven different places. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, I think the closest um, wait list, he, uh, the shortest wait list he was on, I think he was number twelve. So I mean, even that wasn't looking good, right? And so I remember a landing back home, and it, it had to be late. I mean it. I'm thinking you got home around 1230 or 1. We immediately took off. I think maybe we came home around dinner time, maybe around 430 or 5. All the kids are exhausted. And I remember them being asleep in the back of the car. And we left them there. You know, that was back when you could do that. We opened all the doors and they're asleep and we can see them out the, out the kitchen. We had the kitchen door open and and we go inside, and I am just flustered and aggravated. This is not going the way that I wanted it to go. And the way you tell the story, I finally paused long enough to sit, to take a breath. Well, right. I mean, we're both scrambling for a solution here. Yeah. And so, you know, we start having some kind of a conversation. And I, I really, even today and when I look back, it's one of those moments when I didn't know what to say, but the Holy Spirit gave me some words to say, and it's all by the grace of God. These these were not my words. It wasn't my idea. It wasn't my solution. But God hit us both over the side of the head with a providential two-by-four, and we were hurting and scrambling. But I remember saying, well, you know, Rachel, what about homeschooling? (laughs) Yeah, and I remember how humbly... And just submissively and kindly, I responded to that suggestion. I mean, I just remember going, are you kidding me? I was so, I was so adverse to the idea of home education. I remember looking at you going, okay, let me get this straight. You get to go to work all day and I'm going to get stuck home with the kids all day. Is that how it's going to be? But then it's the next thing that you said that really, really got me. Well, then I said, well, Rachel, we've been praying for his teacher all summer long. And I just wonder if we've been praying for you. 
I mean, it was those words still get me because I know they weren't from you. I know that it was God um, inviting me to be a part of what he wanted to do in our home and in our lives and in our family and ways that we could never have imagined. Yeah. So, so we started, we did, we started and here we are 23 years later, (laughs) five of our seven kids have graduated from our family homeschool. Yep. And it's still what I like to call an adventure of lifetime. Uh, if we re- if we re- recounted every year, there were some that were totally exhilarating. There were some that felt like you know a roller coaster where you're just twisting and turning and scary, and nothing's going right. And then there were times oh. that we were just basking in the sun with uh, an amazing picture of life and family and education. They were just beautiful. So, again, by the grace of God, yeah. he got us started and kept us on this journey. So, that, But before we close today, I would really like to challenge the people that are listening to consider their own journey. I mean, it's, it's remarkable for me. It's encouraging to me to think of the very personal touches that God made in our lives and in our journey from living in a street in a neighborhood in Akron, Ohio, with other people who were home educating before we even thought about it. And then all of these other different circumstances along the way that he providentially orchestrated, inviting us into this journey. I would like to challenge everyone to consider, what do you see God doing? What have you seen God do? How might you respond better, better certainly than I did, to what God is doing. Have you dared to consider his faithfulness and his goodness to you? That's a great place to stop. Well, thank you for listening. We hope you join us next time. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. This is Let's Talk Homeschool. And we are your host, Davis and Rachel Carmen. We want to thank our sponsor, Apologia Educational Ministries. They are the number one publisher of creation-based science and biblical worldview curricula. Have a great day, everybody. And until next time, we are walking by faith and enjoying the homeschooling adventure of a lifetime.